Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your host Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. We are continuing our study in the book of Acts. How's it going, Dakota? What's, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I've been doing that dad life. We welcomed Micaiah Joel Smith into the world just uh, about a week and a half ago. Just a little important. Just a little bit, yeah. Our fifth child. So we don't have very many children. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're so really behind, behind the eight ball. Yeah. Five is like way below average of what most families have. Yeah. Um, so you need to step up your game. So we've been busy, and uh, I've been semi-working, semi-not working, using my um, paternity leave uh, maybe a half day at a time. You know, that way I'm not too neglectful over things and not too out of the loop. Um, so I'm working at a different speed for two weeks intentionally, and that's actually hard to do, you know, because you want to be present in two different places. And um, But nevertheless, uh, we enjoy our newborn son. The kids love him, and uh, it's hard not getting a lot of sleep at night. Um, my wife's getting even less sleep at night. and uh, But still, the joys of bringing a life into the world, you know, like my son is not... He is not impeding on my life. He is a part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and whatever my life has, he is no interruption to it. He's a gift from the Lord. So we're grateful for that. Yeah. Any child is a blessing. And so we're excited to have another baby. I think babies are just a thing here at Ottawa Bible Church. Uh, we have lots of young families, yeah. people having babies. We continue to grow numerically, even if it's by birth. That's right. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of fun to see. Children, families, um, just of all generations, worshiping together. Uh, it's such a joy to have a church family that that shows that. You know, we're not lopsided one way or the other. We're truly a congregation that shows multi generational uh, investing in people. And so that's that is what the church should look like. Um, it shouldn't just be one group of people singled out. Um, you know, one generation or one ethnicity or one anything. It should be the body of Christ, which is all those who believe in Jesus. So that's why we're here. That's why we do this podcast. And that's why we're in the book of Acts. We can learn about the church and we learn about the acts of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. And we're going to get into Acts chapter nine, continue. We've been talking about Saul's conversion. And so we're going to continue that um, today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the podcast. I thank you for an avenue to share your word, that you would continue to open doors for people to hear the gospel, to hear the truth. Uh, I thank you for our listeners, that they would be equipped to not just um, for their own walk, but to invest in the walk of other disciples. And so be with us today as we speak. Let us speak truth. And thank you again, Lord, for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's do a review from our last episode. Technically, our last episode was a one-off On service. On service. So the last time that we were in Acts was Acts 9, 1 through 9. So it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. 
The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. That was the passage we covered last time. Now here is this morning's passage as we, uh, well, not the morning for every listener, but here's our passage in this episode. Verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Kyle, let's just talk about verses 10 through 12, just with Ananias and the Lord speaking to him. Let's let's pause it right there. Yeah, I mean, here we have a man uh, who clearly is a follower of Jesus, um, who um, is obedient, faithful, I would say. I mean, the Lord comes to him with a specific task. Um, you know, like many other times throughout Scripture, when we look at instances in which God specifically gives a man a task um, through a vision, speaking to, to them, giving them a direction. I think of Jonah, God speaking directly to Jonah, saying, go to the Ninevites, just as he's telling Ananias, go and see Saul. Um, you could even see some parallels with somebody following God to go talk to somebody who isn't following God. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see here in this vision, Ananias has specific instructions, not a vague, go tell people about Jesus, but go to this house on this street yeah. to see this person and do this exact thing. There is a very specific instruction here by God, not a not a vague one or a large one for everybody to follow, but a specific one for Ananias to go and to meet Saul to lay his hands on him, and the Lord will do do work. So I see a lot of detail here in the instructions from God, as opposed to other times where it may just be at large. As a church, we should do this. So I see that right off the bat, um, because not all people get this specific instruction from God to do something this detailed. So um, very special mm-hmm. um, instructions from the Lord, not necessarily ones that I should follow in the sense other than I need to be listening to the Lord. Yeah. Um, like Ananias clearly is listening to God uh, in his life and is willing to, to do this. Well, something I never caught before is verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I think for some reason I thought previously, you know, just reading through it without examining all the details that maybe Ananias came from a long distance. But it's interesting to me that God allowed Saul to make it all the way to Damascus, right? He was in Jerusalem receiving letters from the high priest. Now he's headed to Damascus, which is, I think I last read, it's about, you know, a day and a half journey away if you're on horse or something like that. Nevertheless, I think it's around like 90 miles. So it's like God actually allowed Saul to specifically be met and blinded, not right away, the moment he got out of Jerusalem, but he waited for him to get all the way to Damascus because God's plan was to use Ananias, who had already been there. Something else, too, is verse 10. It says that Ananias had a vision. And then verse 12, Jesus is speaking to Ananias, and he says that Saul, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him. So 
Saul has already seen what Ananias is supposed to be doing, right? So you got all these little details, but I think what's interesting to me is Ananias's initial response. Here I am, Lord. And that goes, kind of goes along with what you're saying is like being immediately ready to say, here I am, Lord. Like if the Lord calls and the Lord prompts your heart for something, it's best to trust him with it and just go rather than like trying to figure out what God is trying to say. Yeah, I think to a degree, you know, I think here we, we there's a when we talk about who God is and how he does things and mm-hmm. all those theological questions here, we see God's providence. Yes. How detailed can God be in the actions of man? How much does he intervene into the day to day? We see an example here between the conversion of Saul <laughs> to the instructions of Ananias to what God is giving Saul about Ananias. I mean, the Lord is giving them everything that they need and orchestrating the situation the way he wants it to be done. So we see God's providence in orchestrating in the life, in this timeline of humanity, God is inserting his will mm-hmm. into his people and what he wants done. Yeah. And so that's something good to know about God. God isn't a distant God, like mm-hmm. some people like to believe, where he's outside looking in, just shaking his head. Well, yep. I at, guess they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Maybe. Yeah. You know? No, God is active in he's involved in human life. Yep. He wants to be. Yeah. Um, he desires it. He loves it. He enjoys the relationship with humans. Yeah. He doesn't need it because he can glorify himself. But he desires it. He loves it. He 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 enjoys um, um, interacting with humans. He died for us. So we see how God works in this instance. It's not all people. It's not all the time. But we do know God is active in this world. I think the theological world would, excuse me, word would be that God is imminent, not imminent, but imminent with an a. Um, God's imminence literally means his closeness, his intimacy with his creation and and specifically with his church. So I think this is unique. His initial response is, here I am, Lord. Jesus speaks with him because Ananias knows Jesus. But then you look at verse 13, and I think, you know, Ananias is a bit surprised now at what's taking place. I don't see him as disobedient here. You don't really catch that in the text. You just see him like, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do what you ask, but like now I need more detail because I'm I'm not quite sure. Like, So look what he says in verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints, your holy ones at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. It's interesting that, you know, word had already gotten out that Saul was coming Mm -hmm. for him to already have this information. Um, So then look at the Lord's response in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Kyle, what do we do with 13 all the way to 16? There's a little bit more meat here in these verses. Yeah, I think like you said, Ananias isn't being disobedient. There's not he he doesn't say I'm not doing this like Jonah <laughs> and running the other right. way. Um it just doesn't make sense. And so but Ananias is like I know this man and almost not questioning God like do you know what you're doing, but more just like interesting God. Um 
why this guy? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he could kill me if I went over there and talked to him, (laughs) you know, kind of a, he, he, the way it's written, it almost sounds like a, like I'm going to do it, but this is, this is odd. This is an odd request, God. Um, but clearly from his first response, here I am, Lord. Yeah. He's not hiding from God. He's listening to God. He's interacting with God. I think it shows us that I think we can ask questions of God yeah. without being disobedient. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, God, I don't understand why you're doing this right now. Not that I'm against you. Yeah. I'm just a little I'm a little fuzzy on the purpose here. Yeah. Like I just don't know what you're gonna do about it. And the Lord responds to Ananias yes. with his answer. Graciously. Yeah. He says, he says he's a chosen. He says, Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to yeah. carry my name, to share the gospel with all people. Um, and he will suffer for my name's sake. So he's not getting off like scot free. He's gonna he's gonna live for me, he's gonna die for me. It, there's this, you know, he he's going to be sold out for me. It's almost like a seriousness that he's telling Ananias. This isn't just some some guy. This is the guy I've chosen yeah. to do work for me, and it's really important. So just kind of giving Ananias, not, I don't know about motivation. I think Ananias is motivated by what we read, but just purpose. Okay, Lord, I'll, I'll go do this. I think he was going to do it anyways, but I just think it gave him confidence to walk down that street, to knock on that door, and to go lay hands on Saul, who's known for imprisoning the people. That's right. You know, I think if we parallel to other guys who are called like a Jonah, who responded a little bit differently, but he's still Jonah responded in, God, I know you can save those people. Yeah, that's why I'm not <laughs> that's going. That's why I'm not going, you know. <laughs> so Jonah never questioned God's Ability. abilities. Yep. He never questioned God's power. He just knew that he didn't like those people, and I don't want that those people to be saved. And Ananias, I think, is a little bit maybe Ananias, right? He knows, he knows Jonah. Yeah, <laughs> he knows that story. He's aware of it. And I think there's a little bit of I don't want to run from God. I just want to know why. And I think that's okay to ask why. Not that God always gives it. Well, he says, Lord, I have heard from many. <laughs> I have heard from many about this man. How much harm. He did to your saints. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies himself with the saints, right? So I just find it interesting that Saul just began this journey and somehow word has already, you know, word of mouth is speedier than the hooves of a horse. There should be a quote somewhere. But <laughs> but the word of mouth, Saul, Saul is coming, right? And this, exactly what he has received from the chief priest, like Ananias already knows. The community already knows. So the community was expectant of Saul's arrival. The community was expectant of Saul's persecution, which is really unique. So this would have been a game a game changer. Uh, this would have been a situation where Ananias is like, Lord, we were just possibly, Lord, we were getting ready to be persecuted. What do you, what do you mean? You know, mm-hmm. and... Um, the Lord responds in the way he does. Something else about the Lord's response that I think is really interesting is I think the Lord gives you the the context of Saul's choosing by these very words. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name, three things, before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. He's going to suffer. So he's chosen to bear his name, which is an interesting way to say it, like not proclaim, but to bear my name to be under the weight of my name. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name, for the bearing 
of my name, for my name's sake. I mean, there's a lot there. God does have specific calls on people's lives to preach, proclaim, and to suffer. Yeah, and I I always get, whenever Jesus says go, I always get like stuck on that, like go. I actually don't need to know why. Mm -hmm. I don't. He could have just said go to Ananias because I said so. Yeah. Right. Graciously, we are talking about that he gave Ananias the reason in which he is going, which he also gives us the reason for the Great Commission. Go, therefore, <laughs> make disciples. So, What a difficult word, though. It is a difficult Two word. Two letters packed with meaning. Yeah. Pregnant with meaning. Yeah. Go. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it just means go. <laughs> it means do what I said <laughs> yeah. um, and do it. Don't argue with me. Um, yeah. But I, I, I just the command go. But but I also think of the other end of that when you're willing, when you're when your heart when you've prepared your heart in prayer and in God's word and you've saturated your life in a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're full of the Spirit and Jesus asks you to go, that's exciting. He's got a blessing ready for you. That is that that when you're ready for it and it happens, you're pumped. We just had a couple from our church. Uh, Norm and Rachel Schmidt, mm -hmm. where they've they've heard the call to go, yeah. and they're going to Malaysia. Mm -hmm. They're sold everything to go to Malaysia. Man, they're excited. Mm -hmm. They were ready for the go, yeah. and they said yes. Yeah. There was no question. They were they were prepared for it. And so when people are pre prepared for it, that's ex that's just an exciting thing. We should be we should feel honored that Jesus called you to a specific ministry to do his work because the God of the universe is specifically asking you individually, one person, to go do something for him. What an honor that is. Well, and I there's two responses. One is inappropriate and the other is appropriate. The appropriate response is, yes, Lord, I'll go <clears throat> and I'll take part in whatever blessings you have for me, but blessing or not, it's about your glory. Mm -hmm. The inappropriate response would be, Lord, I'm not going to go because there's too much against me or there's too much I have to give up in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so sometimes, whether we know it or not, we can actually trade God's glory for our comfort. That's what God doesn't want from us. Mm -hmm. God wants us to be a goer. So look at verse 17 all the way to 18. We... Um, you and I have decided it's going to be a shorter episode today just due to our schedules and whatnot. Um, but as we're working through these last verses, look at the follow-through of the response. No argumentation, you know, no rebutting against what, what the Lord said. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. That's interesting. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Verse 19, second half of the sentence, and he took food and was strengthened. Um, there's enough here in these handful of verses um, which is what I would call dramatic irony. You know, Saul regains his sight, but he could actually see before he could see if you really think about it. Yeah, he regains his physical sight. Um, but what a confirmation that the Lord even gives Saul. Like, met you on the road to Damascus. 
you've been converted, you're in this house, you get a vision from God telling you that this Ananias is going to come do this. Ananias gets a vision from the Lord and, and obeys him and says, the Lord sent me. I know that he met you on the road to Damascus. He lays his hands on him. Like Saul's got to be like, God is awesome. Like what Jesus is, Jesus is God. Like what a confirmation of one conversion to the call to ministry. And then we see baptism taking place right after this. Um, as a response to his conversion. And and then I, I even think the whole taking food and he was strengthened. He was prayed over. He got baptized. They broke bread. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was strengthened, not just physically with the food, but with the encouragement of the Lord about what is now going to be his path. Yeah. So I, I just think it's a, it's an encouraging moment. It's probably a—we see the road to Damascus being this amazing thing because Jesus comes to Saul on the road. But but from a church standpoint, from a, from a building up the saints, from a fellowship, this is the first time Saul spent time in fellowship with a disciple of Jesus Christ being encouraged and being prayed over and experiencing what the church— should start to look like yeah. the the Holy Spirit's now working through him, working through Ananias, and this is the beginning. This is what's going to launch him into ministry is these moments of of knowing how God works and conversion and baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I think this is this is important for for Saul because it is the beginning of his ministry. Well, yeah, and out of the twenty. 20- seven New Testament books and letters, uh, he wrote 13, possibly 14 of them, if you count Hebrews. So this man's life has been changed forever. I also think it's really unique that Jesus actually appeared to him. Um, this this is the very qualifying event which made Saul, Paul, an apostle. To be an apostle, you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul, in some of his epistles, or I can't remember the reference specifically, but he mentions himself as one who has been untimely born. Uh, and you and I were talking about this the other night when we took a walk around the neighborhood. Um, you know, the the first 12 disciples subtract Judas, the first 11 disciples who became apostles, they spent three and a half years with Jesus. And that prepared them for their apostleship. And then here's Paul who gets born again, and he becomes an apostle. And he is untimely born to the extent that he didn't have those three and a half years. So he's kind of the odd duck out of the 12, right? But nevertheless, he had such an intimate experience with the risen Jesus. That's what made him an apostle. And then there's just a theme going on in these verses I just caught for the first time ever. Do you notice the language? Um, The language describing him physically continues to point out what's happening to him spiritually. So verse 18, and immediately there fell, you know, think, think on that word fell. There fell from his eyes something like scales. It's just, just a, a, a simile, something like scales. And he regained his sight and he what? He got up. So he, something fell and then he got up. He was also strengthened. It's, it's almost like we should be reminded of the verse which says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Like the Lord is all about dropping somebody low and then raising them up later. Hmm. And this is what's happening in his life. And now he's getting ready for, he thought he was doing ministry by, 
you know, visiting the chief priests and going to persecute Christians. He thought he was doing ministry, but actually his real ministry has begun. And the real high priest gave him the real calling, not the fake high priest back in Jerusalem. Yeah, and I, I, I still I find the scale there something that was on his eyes. Like Saul wasn't blinded in the sense of his eyes didn't work anymore. Like the Lord covered over his eyes with uh-huh. something, right? It was like a blindfold. And like, what do you do with a blindfold? Well, when you take a blindfold off like a surprise party, you reveal yeah. something, right? Mm-hmm. Something becomes revealed to you. Well, Saul just had something revealed to him. And I think we see this, the blindness being this blindfold and now being revealed. Like, I knew God's word, right? Saul Saul's a trained man in scripture. Yeah. But he was blind. He was still had it covered, and Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus and then now reveals the call to ministry here with yeah. these scales falling off. So uh, well, there's just such there's a lot there with the with the blindness. It's not I find it I just find it interesting. I don't know how much to read into that they were scales, that it wasn't actual his eyeballs weren't working. He they were covered over by something. So I, I something like scales. Something like, like scales. Yeah. So something that the Lord put there um, to bring him to this place. So yeah, I don't know. I find it interesting. I find there to be a lot of um, imagery in the sense of what he's going through, the whole physical, the spiritual, the once I I didn't see you, Lord, and now I do see you yeah. spiritually. Um, and so there's a connection all there. So it's it's a really cool moment of a call, not only to conversion, but a call to ministry. Yeah, and I think for the record, for the momentary, he did physically lose his sight. Like it says twice, regain your sight, and he regained his sight. But, you know, as we're, as we're looking, you know, it's not like he was blinded forever. It's, you know, he was blinded by the... Yeah. But I think that was there to help him to even, even in the moment of that temporary blindness, to physically... Uh, to see what's happening to him physically, to then reflect on, hey, so what's actually happening with me spiritually? It's like the fi- the temporary physical blindness was there to prompt him towards, you know, well, where am I really actually blind? Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I just think, you know, I wonder what that conversation would have looked like too when Ananias first showed up. We don't get that conversation, but we know it was had because he he calls him brother immediately in verse 17. So... Um, yeah, but here you have probably the most famous Christian ever, the Apostle Paul. He's been born again. Well, if you look up back in verse 12, Jesus tells Ananias, and he has seen, mm-hmm. Saul has seen in a vision. Yeah. yeah. The Lord is still showing him things. So he is seeing he despite is seeing, the fact that he's not seeing. Yeah, it's good. But, you know, he's he's clearly not physically seen, but he's still seeing what the Lord wants him to see. So this blindness could be, I need to show you something, Saul, Yeah. this vision or whatever's going on, and I don't want you to see anything else but that. So I find that also a connection there that Saul is seeing. He's just seeing something spiritual, yep. not physical. And, and then at the end of verse 12, it says, so that he might regain his sight. Yep. Right. So I think this is what happens with people who aren't born again, though. They just, they can't see. And the prayer that we have is, Lord, would you blind them so that you may open their eyes? Mm-hmm. Hit them hard enough to where they may see their absolute need for you. Um, 
So I think this is good for us to keep in mind. The Lord is most certainly involved in the salvation of others who come to him. He's a part of that process. Um, some argue that God, you know, gives people the capacity to believe and then they believe others say God woos and God prompts and God courts a person, then they believe and then they're born again. But listen, God is a part of the process of salvation and he woos and draws and drags believers to himself. Yep. Most assuredly. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Be Disciples podcast. Please uh, share this on social media. Let your friends know about it. Um, you know, spend some time one-on-one with the Bible, with other people, and uh, go and make disciples. Have a blessed week.